All right, if you would, let's take our Bibles and go to Matthew chapter number 15. Matthew chapter number 15. And we'll be looking this morning at verses 32 through 39. And we'll consider the subject today, continuing compassion on the multitude. Continuing compassion on the multitude. Now let me draw your attention to verse 32. The Bible says, Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat and I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. Of course, last week we looked at how Jesus performed these great numbers of healing. He healed those who were maimed. He healed those who were unable to walk, those who were blind, those who were dumb. And we saw how there were people that brought those with these afflictions to the very foot or the very feet of Christ. And we saw that the response of the people was that they glorified the God of Israel. And so now we see our Lord as He continues on these journeys, what we would refer to as journeys of mercy. Multitudes come to Him. Multitudes of people come to Him for healing. And Jesus gives them what they're asking for. And what follows and what we'll look at this morning in verses 33 through 39 is a very almost identical repetition of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, but yet this is a different occurrence. Uh, we saw the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. But we notice the performance of this miracle that we first of all see that Jesus calls his disciples unto him. Uh, this appears to be the Lord calling his disciples to impart into them something that he truly wants them to see and he wants them to understand. We clearly see that he uses that expression, I have compassion on the multitude. This isn't the first time he's looked upon a multitude of people. It's not the last time he'll look at a multitude of people, but he looks upon them with compassion. We have read about compassion this morning. We read in Jude about having compassion making a difference. We just sang the hymn, the compassion hymn. Having compassion for the hurting. Having compassion for those who do not know the, the God that we know. So we see in these first few verses that Jesus establishes with his disciples, he wants them to see his own compassion on the multitude. Jesus is drawing them to himself. Now we don't know exactly where they were at this moment. Maybe they were just standing off to the side or maybe they were some distance away and he calls out to them. But you'll notice that as they come unto him, he tells them what he is going to do. And he says, I have compassion on this multitude that is right before me. Now, we're not told that he points in their direction. We're not told that he says anything, but that he's going to have compassion upon them. Some of these multitude had traveled with him. He indicates that some had been with him for three days. 
They've gone from place to place. They've gone and they've watched these miracles take place. And Jesus now tells his disciples that I'm going to have compassion on them. And I want you, disciples, I want you to see what compassion looks like. I want you to see what mercy looks like. I want you to see what it means to have compassion and mercy upon a people who need it. We can sing about mercy. We can sing about compassion. We can talk about being merciful. We can talk about being compassionate. But what, what about actually being those things? What about actually extending mercy on the multitude? What about actually absolutely exhibiting compassion upon people who need it? Compassion and mercy do not come natural to us. Uh, it's not something that we just automatically do. Uh, much like we learned on it this past Wednesday night about contentment, we have to learn to be content. We have to learn to be content with what God has given us. I believe we have to learn to be merciful. We have to learn to be compassionate. There's a big difference in having pity on someone and be having compassion for them. We can look at someone who's poor or maimed or whatever the case may be, and we can say, boy, that is just such a shame. Or in this case, we can look at those that are famished with hunger, and we can say, boy, that's a pity. I hope someone comes along, and I hope they give you what you need. Or we can be the one that has compassion and gives them what they need. And yet we see Jesus as he pulls the disciples to him. He shows them compassion. He says, I have compassion, which must be understood that Jesus, even in his humanity here, we know that the incarnation of Jesus Christ shows us that he was fully God and fully man. I used to use the expression 100% man, 100% God. I think it's actually better described when you say fully God and fully man. It's a better definition. But he has a desire to meet the need. Now, he notices they've been with me a while. The indication of three days. Now, maybe they were not totally without food, but maybe they had very little. He has compassion. Just like he had compassion on the maimed, he had compassion on the blind and the dumb, that the people brought the people and dropped him at his feet. They didn't say a word, and the Bible says he healed them, and they glorified the God of Israel as a result. But Jesus Christ shows his compassion by being willing to feed them. He's willing to feed them. That's what the subject is in this text. Again, this is a miracle similar to what he's already done in Matthew 14 when he fed the 5,000. But what happens before us is quite remarkable about how quickly the disciples seem to forget that he is a God of compassion who can perform miracles that are absolutely astounding. But you'll notice, and we think about it today, that Christ, He is our great high priest. He is who has displayed mercy upon us. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, He is the one who has been touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Not just the infirmities of our body, but the infirmities of our soul. Our great high priest knows exactly what we feel and what we're experiencing and what we're going through. And he also knows our needs. Now, someone recently said that we don't need to pray because God already knows what we need. No, that's even more reason to pray. We ought to 
express our needs before God. We ought to be dependent upon the Lord and, and show that we trust His providence. We trust His provision. Prayer is not to be uh, abandoned because God is sovereign. God's sovereign providential hand ought to drive us to prayer even more. Maybe it ought to just be that our prayer though ought to be focused on Him, not so much about us, but about what He does. He says, I have compassion. Notice he identifies why. Because they continue now with me. Time had been spent, no doubt, or Scripture teaches us in healing bodily affliction. Some that were healed directly by him, I believe, are in this multitude. Some of the main that were there remained in that multitude. This was not that he left one place and a whole new group of people showed up. It was the same group and they kept being added to. So some of those who had just witnessed and been recipients of being, being given eyes to see and ears to hear, limbs restored. He said, they've been following and continuing with me for these three days. I think it also not only shows us the willingness of Christ, but it shows us the purpose of Christ. The compassion he had for the people. These people were following him because they, in fact, were either recipients of his miracles and the ministry of Christ, or they witnessed it in someone else. One of the great examples we see in the life of Jesus is we certainly do see examples of how we ought to pattern our own life. We have to keep in mind that the purpose of Jesus's life is not just so that we'll be good people. We understand that he declared why he came to seek and to save that which was lost. But he certainly is our pattern. And he certainly is an example to us of what we ought to do. I don't think any of us would say today when Jesus said, I have compassion, that he was saying, I'm the only one that has compassion. No, remember, he called the disciples unto him and he says, I want you to watch this. Remember, many times when the multitude would gather, the disciples would say what? Lord, send them away. And they would almost sound as if they had good intentions. Lord, you need to come apart and rest. Send them away. And he says, no, I'm going to have compassion on this multitude because they're continuing with me for three days. Not only am I willing, but I want you to see how diligent and my purposes are in providing for them. Some of these individuals, I read a couple commentators on this this week, said some of these from what they understood is that some of the, the members of this multitude were people that were actually away from their families. They were following the Lord and they were away from their families. But they continued to remain with Him and continued to follow Him. Notice what Jesus says. He says that I will have compassion because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Now this reference to nothing to eat means that they most likely did not have the normal provisions that you would bring with you if you were to be on a journey. Uh, whatever they had brought with them most likely had been exhausted. Uh, they possibly did not. They were not planning on being gone as long as they were. But their daily provision was exhausted. And maybe they were too far away from home at this point. 
But notice the Lord demonstrates His compassion by a declaration. I will not send them away fasting. Now Jesus in His authority had every right in the world to send them away. He had every right in the world to say, no, I'm not going to provide for them. Jesus did not necessarily heal every single person who was afflicted in his day. But in this particular case, as he's called the disciples to him, he says, I want you to be an eyewitness to what mercy and compassion looks like. I will not send them away. We do see again the humanity of Christ here. He is now going to be the means in which the provision is going to be made. Notice he says that I will not send them away fasting because as a result, if I send them away, they faint. In other words, if I send them away in this condition, they will grow weary and they will faint. They will wither away. Now notice the disciples. They enter the picture in and now they begin to speak. His disciples say unto him, Whence or where should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? Now, had they not seen the previous miracle in Matthew 14, we might say about the disciples, this is a legitimate question. This is a legitimate concern. Lord, how are we going to feed this many people in the middle of the wilderness with our provisions running low? Again, we would have to give the disciples a little bit of, of, of a pass here by saying, okay, that's a legitimate question. The question is, where are we going to find enough bread to feed these people? Obviously, the previous miracle of feeding the 5,000, by the way, remember, that was the feeding of 5,000, not including the women and children, which many estimates mean that in that first feeding was probably upwards of twenty to 25,000 people who were fed. How did the disciples forget so quickly about that previous miracle? The question is, where are we going to find enough bread? The question is asked with a bit of an objection to it. Have you ever asked someone a question with an objection in it? We've all done it. You're asking the question, but you really know the reason why you're asking it. You're objecting to it. You're, you're questioning, do you really know what you're doing? Right? That's a pretty offensive question if someone asks you and say, do you really know what you're doing? But there's an objection here. But there's also a level of astonishment. They want to know, this is not possible. Look at the numbers here, Lord. This is a great multitude. No food, and they've been without food for a while. Imagine the requirement, how much food we have to have in order to feed them. Now, from what we can surmise, they were in a wilderness. There's no provisions nearby. There's no markets they can go to. There's no, there's no traveling caravan they can find and say, hey, do you have food? They are strictly and entirely dependent upon Christ. But then notice, and Jesus saith unto them, how many loaves have ye? Now, it's interesting to me that the Lord could have very easily, sternly rebuked them. He could have immediately said, Men, do you not remember what you've already witnessed me do? He doesn't sting them with that rebuke. 
But he asks them a simple question. He says, how much or how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few little fishes. Now again, what do we see? We see Jesus is concerned because of the people have been without food. He doesn't want them to go away hungry. But wouldn't you have expected one of the disciples to jump in at this moment and say, Lord, why don't you do what you just did a little while ago? I mean, that's a common reasonable conclusion to come to. If you had just witnessed a miracle that he had done, wouldn't you say, hey, Lord, why don't you just do that again? Now, none of them here mention that. They simply ask the question with a little bit of hesitation and objection. Almost every commentator said, we are unable to explain why they couldn't remember such a display of God's power. <laughs> Some great theologians said, well, I am at a loss. We have no reasonable reason, a conclusion we can come to to say, why did none of the disciples remember that or why didn't they say it here in this account? But then notice, Jesus, instead of rebuking them, says unto them what I believe must have been a gentle manner. He doesn't take any notice of their forgetfulness of his previous demonstration of mercy and compassion, and instead willing to be long-suffering with them. By the way, if you are going to be truly compassionate people, we have to learn to be long-suffering. There's very few people, I think there's very few Christians that you'll meet who don't need help in the long-suffering and patience department. Patience is also learned. People say, I was born patient. No, you've learned patience. Because our hearts are often impatient about things. The Lord doesn't use this to rebuke them, but rather he uses this as a means to strengthen their faith. He exercises patience. When he asks the question, how many loaves have ye? What he's asking about is how much is left of your common provision that you would have had with you. Now again, when we talk about the, the fish and the loaves, sadly, and again, I'm not trying to be ugly here, but we, we have too much Sunday school illustration in our mind where they're these giant loaves in a nice basket with a ribbon around it and these nice shiny fish like giant fish. No, the provisions that you would have carried would have been very small fragments of bread and dried out fish. Very small. Now, the miracle would have been a miracle no matter how big the fish were and no matter how big the loaves of bread were, but these loaves were not like what you get when you go to a restaurant and they bring it with a nice side platter and some butter and a knife. This was dried out bread and dried out fish that could be taken with them that wouldn't spoil. Jesus is asking, how many of those fragments, how much of that fragment do you have left? And they said seven and a few little fishes, which they mention with an objection, again, 
in their heart and in their mind, I believe the text shows us that they're saying almost, Lord, we've just got seven and a few little fish. Almost as if they're, they're presented in a way with some doubt and objection that there's no way you're going to be able to provide. We can feed them with this. Again, how did they forget the previous miracle? Very few in number. Now, this is such an important teaching moment for the disciples that when we get to chapter 16, probably just across the page for you in verse 9, Jesus uses these examples when he's talking with the Pharisees and talking with his disciples again. Verse 9, he says, Do ye not yet understand? Neither remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up. That's the first occurrence of the miracle. But then notice he says a second time, neither the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many baskets you took up. And Jesus goes in, of course, to say, how is it that you do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread? We'll get to that when we get there. But notice these miracles were very important points in teaching the disciples. These were not just common occurrences. They were meant to teach and to strengthen the faith. And so the Lord deals with those again. So we see the compassion of Christ on the multitude. But then secondly, let's look at the command that Christ gives to the multitude. Verse 35, And He commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. He doesn't consult with His disciples anymore. He doesn't send them off looking for food. He knows his own power to increase the supply. And he's already determined to feed them before they ever sat down. Why? Because I said, I will have compassion. In an authoritative way, Jesus commands them to sit down so that all the multitude is going to be able to see what's getting ready to take place before them. And as a display of his power, verse 36, he took the seven loaves and the fishes and gave thanks and broke them. Now, many of even biblical historians and theologians say that most likely what Jesus did, again, I know the passage doesn't say it, so we're not just saying most likely what he did, which would have been common, would have been to lift it up so that everyone could see it. They could see what he was quote unquote starting with says he gave thanks, which means he offered up a prayer to his heavenly Father for the provision, and he broke it. It's very common what we think about when we observe the Lord's table together. The breaking and the thanking God for it. And he gave to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. So he first of all hands the provision to the disciples first, and then the disciples took the provision and then gave to the people. He's determined to feed them. The people are going to see what's happening, not only the multitude, but also the disciples. He's thanking God for the provision. One of the most amazing studies you can do, if you like to study on your own, I hope that you do, is you should study the number of times that the Lord Jesus Christ gives thanks to His heavenly Father. One of, the, be one of the, the most tremendous passages of Scripture is often referred to as the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17. 
I'm telling you, you could make that an entire year devotional study if you would just think about and meditate upon what Jesus is teaching about praying to his heavenly Father. Here is Jesus Christ, fully man and fully God, and he's giving thanks to his heavenly Father. He who has the power to multiply the bread and the fish, he's giving thanks to the Father. He gives to the disciples again. Why? He gives to the disciples again as a trial and strengthening of their faith. Imagine if you were one of those disciples that said that didn't remember that miracle, now being watching this multiplication take place and asking yourself the question, how is he doing this? How do we have bread and fish in our hands when all we had was a few fragments and a few little fish? Remember, Jesus did not rebuke them. But you realize that by watching Jesus do this, there would have been a bit of a reproval of their unbelief. It's going to remind them of the previous miracle. Now their second time witness of this multiplication. And the multitudes were given by the disciples. They obeyed Christ's orders. Imagine, again, you have to, you, when you sit and read these passages, you have to kind of think about the disciples as they continued to pass it out and pass it out. They had to keep asking themselves the question, when does this end? And they just kept giving, and they just kept giving because God kept multiplying. Folks, you realize the very daily provision in your life is direct provision from the hand of God. You say, no, it's the direct provision of my job. It's the hand of God that's providing that to you. Again, we learned this at 10 o'clock this morning, not just our physical needs and our physical food, but spiritually. Spiritually, he feeds us with the word. More than we can possibly even think or imagine or even ask for. He gives us things and provisions that we don't even know we have need of. You didn't know you were in need of salvation. You didn't even know you were a sinner until your eyes were opened to see the reality of sin and hell and the grave. And that the abomination of sin before a holy God, that no sin can stand before God. And yet He provided for you. By the way, it's a miraculous event we're seeing taking place with the multiplication of the bread and fish, but every soul that's converted is an unbelievable miracle of God's provision. To people who aren't worthy of it, we haven't earned it. We don't deserve to keep it. Sometimes we get very lazy even in our day-to-day -day temporal provisions. Thank you, Lord, for the food. Thank you for the house. Thank you for my stuff. Thank you for my kids. You realize when you give thanks unto God, you're giving thanks unto the very God who has given you all those things that are so precious to you? Every time you look into the face of your child, and by the way, every parent in this room knows it doesn't matter how old your child gets, there is absolutely positively nothing more precious than looking into the face of that child that God gave to you. 
And it's not just when they're babies. That's a, that's a provision of God's hand. God's given you them, those children. And he's given them to you. And yet, as great as that is, as wonderful as that is, the greatest provision he ever gave to you was a way of salvation. And that you may know the way of salvation and that you may pray and labor in prayer that your child would be saved, that your child would be converted. You start praying for your child before that child is ever even born. You're praying for the conversion. The provision that God is teaching us through this text and that Jesus is showing us is so much more than just a daily food provision. Notice verse 37 says, And they did all eat and were filled, and they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets full. And they that did eat were 4,000 men beside women and children. This is, again, a very similar miracle to what took place previously. Everyone had a share of this provision. Everyone was full to their personal satisfaction. Not a single person in that multitude was overlooked and neglected. Everyone had as much as they could possibly eat. We talked about common providence of God this morning at the end of that Psalm 136 we've been studying. God's common providence is even giving food today to the unbeliever. He's giving food to the atheist. He's giving food to the false worshiper of false gods. God is essentially good. God is a God of compassion. We could never come to the conclusion that we don't have to be compassionate. In a world that is growing more and more impatient and a world that is growing more and more this desire to just say, you know what, just let people be. That's not the attitude of a believer. We ought to actually be looking for ways to demonstrate compassion and mercy and find ways to demonstrate the love of Christ towards someone else. Imagine, look at what they had left. The disciples, after they had distributed to everyone, they collected the remaining fragments. They filled seven baskets. Again, the textual critic says, well, how big were the baskets? That's just a foolish way of trying to, try to, trying to poke a hole in Scripture. Would it matter how big the basket was if all those people were fed? Wouldn't matter one bit. But yet, what we see is there was more than enough left. And Matthew writes that this did not include the women and children. And then in an interesting turn of events, like I mentioned to you, the multitude has been following but look what Jesus does in verse 39. Some might say, if we don't understand what's happening here, that his patience ran out. It's not what's happening at all. Rather, it says that he sent away the multitude and took ship and came into the coast of Magdala. He dismissed them. We're not sure all the details in Matthew's account of what happens there. Maybe it was a word of exhortation. Maybe he reminded them, be thankful for your provision. Be thankful for spiritual things. Be thankful for temporal things. But he sends them away. 
And we see that he, he goes, takes on a, goes on a ship, and he goes to another coast. So just like Jesus had fed those 5,000, there is a little bit different in, there's a little bit of difference in who primarily the multitude was during the first feeding and then the second based upon Jesus' location. The feed of the previous, the first 5,000, the first miracle, was most likely made up of Jewish men and women and children. The second feeding had more to do, had more Gentiles in it. Which again, if you go back to our account with a woman who was begging for bread for the crumbs that fell from the master's table, how the Lord was showing that the grace of God is not just for the Jew, it's also for the Gentiles. Even this compassion, Jesus is not just showing on the people of Israel, but he's showing on the Gentiles as well. What's going to take place in, in chapter 16 is going to fill in a lot of these gaps because what we start to see now is Jesus is going to start talking about a further expansion of the kingdom of God. He's going to move outside of the walls of Israel and he's going to move and start talking much about the Gentiles. But Jesus at this point sends them away. But he didn't send them away without demonstrating compassion upon them. Christ's power was shown to the multitude in how he provided for them. A similar miracle, but a bit of a different multitude. <clears throat> the results in both miracles were the same. All did eat and all were filled. And in both cases, there were some left over. I want you to know something about the Lord this morning that those that are his, he feeds them. He provides for them. He takes care of them. And there are moments in our own life when we start to wonder, has God forsaken me? Has God forgotten about me? There have been times when God has allowed us to be brought to the brink of wondering, am I going to have enough to get through this day? Again, as we've been learning on Wednesday evenings, the Apostle Paul, when it came talking about contentment, he said, I've learned both to abound and to be abased. I've learned to be with and I've learned to be without. Oftentimes we think to be without is God cursing or doing something bad to us. But no, sometimes when God puts us in a place of want, it's reminding us of his wonderful provision so that we don't forget what he's done for us. Folks, I've said it before, and this, is, this doesn't originate with me. You are, there is more danger in your abundance than in your want. Because the more that we have, the more likely we are to depend upon the abundance. When you're brought to the very end of yourself, when there's no other place and person of dependence, is oftentimes when we are brought to remembrance of what Christ has done. Christ doesn't send the people away because he's impatient and done with them. He had fed the people. And there is a lesson in this. They were not to look every single day just for a miracle. They were to go and do likewise. They were to go back to their homes. They were to go back to their callings. They were to go back to their own tables. Prayerfully with an increase in their faith. Prayerfully with an increase in the strength we're being taught to live daily upon God's provision. 
Some of the greatest lessons that we learn about God's provision are from the Old Testament, and certainly the wilderness wanderings of Israel teach us a lot about being thankful for God's provision. Daily, they were to go out and pick up what he provided, but they were not to take for more than that day. They were to trust God for the provision the next day and the day after that. Well, some, because of their unbelief, decided we better take in more just in case God doesn't provide enough for the next day. That's not faith. Some of you have read the, the accounts of George Mueller, and if you haven't, that should be on every Christian's reading list. You should read how George Mueller took on an orphanage of children. No money, no way of knowing how he was going to do it, but every day, every day George Mueller would simply say, God, give us today our daily bread. And every morning that that orphanage operated, there was food provided every single day. He believed that God would provide. Imagine being responsible for all of those children depending upon you for their daily food. And to have that kind of faith that would say, I will pray every day and I'll trust God's provision. That's a man of faith. That's a man who is exhibiting a couple of things. Trust in God. And that's compassion. That's mercy. Those orphans, no parents, no family. And George Mueller said, I'm going to, I'm going to have compassion upon them. And by the way, he didn't just feed them temporally. There's accounts in that in a biography and autobiographies and books that have been written that every day those orphans heard the gospel. See, he wasn't just meeting their physical needs. Physical needs will only last you until the physical body dies. And as important as the bread was, the most important thing he ever taught them and prayed for was their spiritual condition. Christ had compassion on the multitude, and I trust that will be the desire of our heart, that we would have compassion and would exhibit and be an example of compassion and mercy upon those that are put into our paths. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful for the Word. And Lord, how our hearts have been challenged this morning to be brought back again to a remembrance of our salvation. Maybe to bring us back to a time when we were given the gift of repentance and we repented of our sins and we trusted in Christ alone for our salvation. And how our hearts rejoiced. How thankful we were to know that we've been delivered from the penalty of sin. But Father, your word teaches us that we're not just to live for what eternity may be, but we are to live in the present, not being given over to the power of sin. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us a promise from your word that 
You would never leave us nor forsake us. But Lord, you've also taught us through your word that Christianity and being a follower of Christ is not about just sitting back and sitting in our homes and doing nothing. Lord, may you give us hearts of compassion. May you make us people that are merciful. May we be long-suffering towards those that are suffering so greatly. May we not look at people as other people's problems, but may we find ways, Lord, to demonstrate compassion, making a difference. Father, we pray that as the Word of God goes forth from this place in each one of us, Lord, Father, that we would live out what we've heard and that we would give thanks and, and praise for our Heavenly Father and for the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus alone. Lord, we know we have to learn these things, Lord. We need to learn to be compassionate, learn to be merciful. And Father, may we truly hunger after your word. Lord, we ask now that as we bring this time of worship to a close, Father, that you would bless the time of fellowship we have together. Lord, We thank you that you have given us a body of believers who can gather together and rejoice with one another. Lord, may we see the preciousness of the local body of, of believers. May we see the joy in being with the brethren. And Father, we're grateful that you give us these times. Lord, help us to edify and encourage one another, to lift each other up in prayer, Lord, and to, and to look out for the welfare of each other, even above our own good. Father, we're grateful for what's been given to us. And Lord, now may we take what we've been given and may we desire to give it to someone else, Lord. May, may the burden of the gospel burn so, so hot within us, Lord, that we can't go a single day without telling somebody about Christ. Father, we know we cannot save a single soul, but you have called us clearly in your word to go and to speak and to preach the gospel. And may we truly return thanks for all that you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. Lord, we ask all these things in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.